This week's episode is brought to you by the Executive Barbershop. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the podcast. And it's go time. Warning. This episode may contain explicit content such as cuss words. So if you're not into that, probably don't listen. This is the Live Dapper Podcast. I'm your host, Trace and Luna. And with me today, I have Tim Harrigan. Hey. And Mr. Corona. Hello there. Thanks for uh, welcoming me to the Live Dapper Podcast. Yeah, for sure. It's an honor. Oh, man. We don't get a lot of hua's, so I'm really excited. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, hey, happy uh, 4th of July, everybody. Happy Independence Day. Yeah, happy Independence Day. I feel like... This is um, this is some people don't say that a lot. You realize yeah. that they don't say Happy Independence Day. It's mm-hmm. always hey, it's Happy Fourth or something like that. And I really feel like if you think about it, this should be our biggest holiday. Yeah, it's kind of how our country was founded, right? Yeah, I agree. Um, are you like trying to rank this to like Memorial Day and Labor Day? I was going with Christmas, but yeah, Whoa. I mean. It's, it's big. Um, I mean, Christmas. I'm just. Mix. I'm saying, like, if you look at Independence Day, like, the nation of the United States of America, that nation, you know, because yeah. everybody can have Christmas, but only we have our Independence Day. Yeah, this should be yeah. like our big. This should be the big holiday. I feel like people should take it. You know, it, it. We just don't take it in the same seriousness as we take Christmas or we take. We should give each other gifts on Independence Day. I'll receive that. And then you can shoot them in the sky and blow them up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> See, the, the thing about, at least at this latitude, um, Christmas usually sucks. I don't know. <laughs> I love Christmas. That's like my favorite <laughs> holiday. Totally disagree. Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I feel like I've had enough of Indiana winters, uh, but you can never get enough of July. People always bitch that's, about how cold it is. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Might be just a northern thing. I don't know. Well, hey, we have Vinny on the podcast, and I've been wanting you to come on the podcast for a long time because, first of all, you're a really good buddy of mine, and um, secondly, I, th- I think you have an amazing story, and I want a lot of the guys to hear it. I think you are uh, an inspiration to men in general, but I also think oh. that you are, and I know this sounds really weird, so... It may. Um, <laughs> I'm romancing you right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but no, in all seriousness, I, I I have a lot of admiration for what you've given us as our country. Um, and then also, you know, I've gotten to know you as a buddy of mine. Um, and so I would like people to kind of hear what you're doing in your life because you're, in my opinion, the epitome example of an American man. Um, just I know it's super getting deep, guys. Wow. You guys t- give this me some feedback super, here. Super, <laughs> super deep or super intimate. Uh, I did look you in the eyes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> for the record, Tim didn't blink. Uh, <laughs> for, that whole, <laughs> for that whole, for that whole, for whole string of accolades and compliments. You're, you're put handsome together. Guy, that's all I gotta say. Um, so this, I'm gonna start this in a really weird way. So, how old's your daughter? <laughs> three. Okay, so I've been coming to the barbershop for three years. Okay, that's I know that's not the best way to to ask uh, how long I've been coming here, 
But um, actually, the first haircut I got here was from Tyler because I booked with you, and you were out for your daughter's birthday. So, uh, uh, which was an awesome day. Yeah, no, not your like her actual like birthday. Yeah, yeah like, that was a great day. Yeah. Um, so Tyler cut my hair the first time, and then he's you know great. I mean, he gave me the best haircut I've ever had in here, but he, you know, he encouraged me to, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, try it out with, uh, with you. And as soon as I sat in the chair and I realized that you were a Marine, uh, it was just, um, yeah, it was just a great connection. So I've always got that. I know like to look forward to with my haircuts because I can just come in here and bullshit. By the way, I want everybody to know that Vinny didn't blink right there when he was talking to me. Either. <laughs> so, <laughs> just to let you know the romance is real. <laughs> yeah. It's not just one way. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think we covered some good topics when we were in the shop. Um, you know, try to book at the end of the day so uh, you're not rushed. She can drink as many beers as you want, and I can take cake as long as I want. Yeah, I, I like to be a good steward at the barbershop. You know, you talk about all these things you've done for your country. You didn't talk about everything I've done for the barbershop. It's I mean, true. You've done a lot for the barbershop. Yeah. Uh, yep. I, I, Let's think of all of them. I feel like I'm one of the original uh, beer donors. You're, I wouldn't say original, but I would say heavy. You're a heavy <laughs> beer donor. You're definitely a heavy beer donor. So for people who don't know, here at the barbershop, we have a little bit of a, a military tradition and I feel like anybody could get on board with that. Um, I think anybody out there who has spent any time on active duty or whatever, if, if you uh, if you go ahead and buy beer and bring it back to the barracks, you know for a fact somebody's you're sharing. <laughs> what's the term? Uh, he who has shares. Yeah, there's a specific term. Um, somebody somebody's gonna rat fuck your beer. Like, just be honest. Yeah. Um, and uh, so maybe you need to explain those words. Yeah, that means just kind of go through and pick whichever yeah. they want. And yeah, think of how a rat goes through a garbage can. It just yeah. takes whatever it wants. Yes, true. Yeah. Um, and so you usually need to probably bring something you want and then bring something for everybody else when you come back. The and decoy so, beer. Yeah, like you need the decoy beer. <laughs> the decoy <laughs> beer. <laughs> and uh, someone's so, going gonna to come sniffing around. <laughs> Um, so Vinny is one of our heavy, heavy donors. Uh, we have a, we have a rule here in the shop is, um, that if you get it, we, we have beer in the fridge and you are more than welcome to participate and, and have a beer. But if you have a beer, uh, give a beer or six. So feel free to bring back a six pack or a 12 pack. So, um, yeah, I think I've got positive credits in that department. Yes. I mean, it's not like I'm, you know, drinking a six pack every time I come in here. I just like to have a, just like to have a beer or two when I'm getting my Are haircut. Are you? Just like to have a beer or two when I'm getting my haircut. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about the first time you met Tim. Oh, the first time I met Tim, he was taking a shit in the bathroom. Uh, so I came in, and uh, I don't like to wear. Yeah, I'll just wear my undershirt when I'm getting my hair cut. And, Which, by uh, the way, what's your undershirt that you're wearing today? Oh, I'm wearing uh, uh, five, three five oh four paratrooper PT shirt. Yeah. 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 Sometimes. Why'd yeah. you put that on today? You dressed up for me? Because uh, even Marines need heroes. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah. Just yeah. not from I, the army, right? Yeah. Oh gosh. That's tough. <laughs> so uh, yeah. So I come in here and uh, uh, you know I take my shirt off. And uh, I'm looking around, and this guy's chair's empty, and I'm like, all right, well, I'll go take a piss before I get started here. By the way, I'm having this vision right now of Vinny with his shirt off just walking around my shop. With my outer shirt <laughs> <Okay>. off <laughs> and my undershirt on. 
And uh, yeah, I go in and uh, use the urinal, and uh, uh, someone's taking a crap next to me, and I realize that it's got to be you. And I didn't stay in there long enough to like smell my make sh- ma- yeah <laughs> to, <laughs> to smell your beef. No, I I didn't want to stay in there and like make sure you washed your hands. But when I came back to the sh- <laughs> when I came back to the chair, I was like sitting there and I like was watching you walk in, and I was like. Okay, like uh, if he's not like drying his pants, off, his hands off on his pants, like something's wrong here. I'm gonna have some bad vibes. But I think I remember you doing that. But um, I actually have a little trick I do for people. Yeah, uh, you just sprinkle out. You just put your run your hands under there. <laughs> that's not what I was gonna say, but that's that's great. Uh, maybe I'll do that for you next time. Um, no, I actually have a little trick where I have paper towels, and I learned this when I was at barber school. The guy said, whenever you go to the bathroom and the customer's there, he said dry your hands as you're walking back to the customer so they can always see that you actually washed your hands. Yeah. And it gives them that mental warm and fuzzy. Yeah. Uh, well, it's like the Seinfeld episode where um, they go to the pizza place and Jerry's in the bathroom and the chef comes out of the crapper and he just like, he he's like, oh yeah, Jerry, I make your pizza or whatever. And then he's like, Jerry's washing his hands and the guy just like turns and like faces the mirror and then he just like straightens up his collar and walks out and then Jerry's just sitting there awkwardly through the dinner and they're like, I don't understand, you said you were so hungry. And he's just like, uh, I don't know, I don't know, you know. So it was, it was so... I guess in the essence, it was like a Seinfeldian. Yeah. If I just made that word up, it's cool. It's a word now. Yeah. yeah. Seven letter, seven letter word in Scrabble, multi point, triple word score. Um, Seinfeldian introduction to Tim Harrigan. Three years later, he still doesn't blink. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, ever since I've been coming in here, um, I sit down and I read you know, a page out of my favorite book. That's the real-life reader biography of Chuck Norris. That's what's up, <laughs> yep. Just to let you know, that's a real book. You guys can all come in here and take a read. We have it. It's from the Children's Library. Chuck downtown. Norris is a man of action. Yep. We also have Wonder Woman Day, special edition. Yeah. That's for the little girls that gotta wait on their dads, you know. That makes sense. Yeah. That does make sense. Yeah. Tom Brady looks like Daniel Tosh on the cover of that Sports Illustrated. Oh, I thought that was Wonder Woman Day. No, right next to that. <laughs> so we are recording actually in the barbershop <laughs> right now, if anybody wants to know. Yeah. That's what we're doing. So yeah. um, tell us a little bit about yourself since it's uh, Independence Day. Um, you were in the Army. You were with... Tell us your story. How did you okay. get in the army? How who did you end up serving with? Um, yeah. You want me to start like back at ground? Pretty speaking? much, Vinny's a war hero, and no, so I just wanted are, him to uh, come in and those are words chat that with I'll, us. Those are words that I'll never use to describe <laughs> myself. It's all right, I'll do it. Um, I Move think it so. Uh, I was a senior in high school. Okay. In uh, two thousand one. Okay. So I remember seeing. The events of 9/11 unfold. Yeah. It was uh, I don't know. I think like any one of our generation places can like place themselves in a moment. You know, just like frozen. It's like yeah. if you hear like older people talk about like when President Kennedy was shot, or like going back further, Pearl Harbor. It's like I remember exactly where I was, and uh, it was I was in uh, Mr. Gale's econ class, and our first period was extended because of the I-STEP testing. Mm-hmm. 
And he says, well, you know, we got some extra time to kill. Uh, why don't we uh, flip on the TV and see what's going on in the economic world? First thing we see is smoking, you know, I forget which tower got hit first, you know. Um, and it's like plane flew into the World Trade Center. Like, what the, like, how could you miss that, mm -hmm. you know? And then as we're watching, the second one gets hit. And then, uh, you know, all through the day, that's all we did was just... How'd you feel when that was going down? I didn't know what the hell to think because yeah. there were so many reports. Like, I'd say by the time that I left for second period, uh, I think the Pentagon had been hit. Um, I don't think the plane had gone down, in, gone down in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. I don't think that one had gone down. But there were, like, all these other reports of, like, a fire at the State Department, like something over here. It was like, it was like something out of a movie. Like I don't know if anyone else remembers those details about it, but I just remember like, it just it just seemed like if it were a heat map of DC, it was like mm -hmm. every big thing you could think of, and it was just like what the hell is going on here? And then um, second period, the buildings fall, and it was just like I don't know. I think I I didn't I definitely did not understand the gravity of it immediately but you know soon enough we realized like we have been attacked and this is this is gonna I, I just re I just remembered um, that I felt that it was just gonna change the world mm -hmm. and I remember hearing yeah. this, another memory from high school I remember my uh, history teacher John Maine looked at us and this might have been like freshman year he says every generation has their war and you're no different and it was just like okay Mr. Maine Everybody, <laughs> it's like, uh, it's like everybody thinks you're pretty scary, and you know, like you get this, you know, message. But then it was like, no shit, senior year, like, here it is. Mm -hmm. um, what do you mean senior year? Yeah. So, so that, so I, I think, Mr. Maine had said like every generation has its war. That might have been like a freshman year, like, you know, get piss running down your leg, scare tactic message. Um, and then, you know, like senior year, there it is. And um, I don't, like I, I don't, there was never like any pull for me to join the military. Like no one in my family had served before. Well, my, my grandfather did, uh, my dad's dad. But uh, I don't know, it never really seemed like an option. I guess like on like uh, the job fairs, mm -hmm. I, would, I would always you know, kind of be drawn to the recruiters, maybe just talk to them a little bit. Um, but after that, yeah, I, I started thinking about it a, a bit more seriously. So I took uh, took a semester off after high school and worked, and then I took a semester at uh, what is now Purdue Fort Wayne, what was then IPFW, and like I didn't I didn't know what I was doing, uh, you know, taking like general studies. I don't even know what my major was. Let's just yeah. say that. Uh -huh. And I started thinking a bit more seriously about it, and I talked to uh, all the uh, all the recruiters, and I pretty much narrowed it down to. Army and Marines, so nice. yeah, yeah, yeah. Classy. Uh -huh. They were in the they were in the top, <laughs> yeah, the top two. But then uh, I went and talked to the Marine recruiter again, and um, it was like, I don't know, I just didn't like his pitch. I'm not gonna <laughs> because he's a dick. That's what it was. Just say it. Uh, no. I don't know what it is about no. Marine recruiters. You didn't have that experience? No, he wasn't. A he, I remember he had a big fat like where your Africa tattoo is. He had like. Eagle Globe and Anchor, like, you can't miss it, pal. Like, <laughs> like, like hoorah, devil dog. Freaking uh, Motard. Yeah, and it was, and I was like, all right, you know, so, you know, I, I knew I wanted to, like, be 
you know, G.I. Joe. I wanted to, like, go shoot machine guns and throw grenades and, you know, do that. Um, and the Marine recruiter's like, yeah, well, you know, we'll, after, after Army, or after Marine boot camp, you know, we'll see what, you know, what you qualify for and what the Marine picks. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. I was like, yeah, I don't even get to pick my job here. <laughs> like, yeah, it's so but, interesting how smart people go to other places. Yeah, yeah. and he's, <laughs> and, and, you know, and, like, his, his hooks were like, yeah, but everyone's a Marine, and we're going to give you this, like, tan kung fu belt when you get out of boot camp. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but, like. Okay, so the thing he's talking about, yeah, I don't, I'm not even going to explain it. It's like your crucible. I don't want to talk whatever. about it. Whatever. I don't want to talk. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe this dude actually said that. It's just like a, a tan nylon So you know, like, weapon. you have your combatives belt? I, I know that exists, yeah. Oh, there's a thing, like, for you guys, you have your combatives. Well, the Marine Corps has a thing called McMap. And it's the Marine Corps Martial Art Program. And I know oh, there's probably Marines out there who are going to get really pissy if I say that. <laughs> but let's just be honest. It's enough to it, it's enough to get your ass beat. Like, that's like... Yeah, that's what they say. And so when you... So you get out of boot camp, it's the it's the freaking gray belt that you tie your pants on with. I can't believe he told you that. And that's yeah. what he said. He's like, yeah. we're going to give you a tan. Yeah, like, me. in the Marine Corps, that's like the worst thing you could ever have. <laughs> That was his pitch, huh? Uh, it was, uh, yeah, uh, we're going to teach you, like, Marine Kung Fu. And uh, <laughs> and everyone's a Marine. And I, was, I just remember thinking, That's like, what he kept saying. Everyone's a Marine. Everyone's a Marine. Everyone's we're going to teach you Marine Kung Fu. Yeah. And I'm just like, I'm not, I'm not going to feel like much of a Marine if I'm, like, cooking eggs or driving a truck. Nothing against cooks and truck drivers, but that was not what I wanted to do. Um, so, you know, I went and talked to the Army recruiter and... Um, I was like, hey, I want to shoot machine guns and throw grenades. And he's like, you want to jump out of planes too? And I was like, duh. <laughs> Let's do that too. Uh, so, yeah, I, so I actually signed an 18 X-ray contract, uh, which was real hot at the time. It was like a special forces recruit. It was like their... You signed an 18 X-ray? Yep. Wow. Oh, yeah. That's like straight pipeline to SF, isn't it? Uh, yep. Yeah, yeah, so they, they the group. The baby program, the baby, uh, the baby SF, SF program? SF baby program. Yeah. Um, so I remember my basic training was like, I'd say 95% 18 x-ray. There were a couple guys from, that were doing like Ranger contracts, which were 11x. Uh, and then there was like a couple just like airborne needs of the Army guy. And then like maybe one National Guard guy. So anyway, we go straight from basic Literally, so like, why didn't why didn't you go? I didn't SF. know that. You never told oh. me that. Well, I don't like to talk about it. Tell me all the things. Oh gosh. So, um, basic training is basic training, and then um, literally from the parade field at. Did you guys uh, have stress cards at basic training? Hell no. I don't know. I hear about these things called stress cards in the army. No. That's, no, it's just, you know, you heard it right. Not while I was there. All right, all right. Yeah. Yeah. So straight from the parade field of basic training graduation, they zip you over on some buses over to the airborne towers, do three weeks of airborne school, basically fall down a bunch and learn how to fall out of a plane. Right out of basic. Right out of basic. Okay. Mm-hmm. How, uh, was, how was basic for you? Pretty easy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... Look at him. Of course it was easy. Uh, yeah, I mean... I was a running stud. It, yeah, like that... I don't know, I've, I've always had that endurance. Like, none of the running stuff really ever got to me. Um, but How many times were you slayed? 
What? Just the fact that you're looking at me like that. Slayed? Yeah, destroyed. <laughs> Physically, mentally, financially, and spiritually. Oh. I don't know what's like, whatever. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Uh, I don't know. I feel like any person who I ask, when, how often were you slayed? Because I was slayed on a daily basis. Um, I'm sure they're, I don't know. Dude, I was in basic in 03. How many freaking years ago? 16 years ago? Dude, you're old. Was it July? Yeah. So I graduated in April. So yeah, like 16 years ago. Man. I don't know. I can't remember the, the low or high times it's been so far. It's been so long, I guess. Um... Just pretty much like what you expected was what you're saying. Yeah, like I expected it you to be. You yelled out a little Challenging. Bit. Yeah, you get screamed at, impossible time standards. Do some stuff. Get yeah. hazed a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, airborne school was airborne school. I, don't, there, I mean, I think the most challenging thing about that was like, you go in these little like zip line things and you stand, you know, like maybe, you know, three, four feet up. And then you just like zip and they'll just be like, fall to the left, fall to the right. So it's just a lot of falling down. Uh, I remember, like, I think it's weak. That's probably why your back hurts. Yeah, it's like, yeah. <laughs> it probably wasn't jumping <laughs> out of airplanes. Yeah. It was probably that damn yeah. zip line. Uh, I just remember, like, uh, like I think it's, yeah, ground week. You just fall down a lot. Like, I remember, like, walking back up to the barracks after, like, I don't know, it might have been, like, Thursday or Friday. It's like, wow, my hips are kind of sore in a way that uh, is uncomfortable. I don't know. It just, none of the running there really got to me. Um, and then the jumps... Uh, I remember we had bad weather, so we had like you do your five jumps, and they're usually spread out like. This over, is an airborne. Yeah, they're okay. usually spread out over like five days. Okay. So we did all five of ours in two days. So it was like three one day, two the next, obviously. And um, I remember being really scared on my first night jump, and I think it might have been my last jump. Um, but uh, it's just it's uh, a weird feeling falling through the sky and it was dark and it was very new and just the ground just comes at you before you think it will really yeah. so that's, I've never done anything like so, that so yeah. that's cool so do you just count down like or do you have altimeters or how do you Airborne know school? when to pull so these are static line parachute jumps so um, oh, gotcha. okay. yeah so uh, as your parachute's rigged up like along your back mm-hmm. your static line like zigzags around and then there's this hook and then the direction of the aircraft is essentially to your back. And then, you know, there's a series of commands. You hook up to these cables that run along the aircraft down back towards the tail where the paratroop jump doors are. So you hook up, you do a series of commands, and then you, you know, grab a handful of cable. You walk towards the door. You hand it off to the jump master. You turn and jump out and then count to 4,000. Did you pee? Uh, no, didn't pee myself. Um, I hear that's a thing. No. Uh, usually when you hit the drop zone, that was the, uh, as soon as you reeled your shoot in, you take a piss because you're, you're rigged up for so long. Uh-huh. You've got like your, uh, your, you know, your parachute inspections and, and you're just riding around in the aircraft so that the pilots can get flight hours. So by the time you've been rigged up, by, and then the time you land, it's been a little while. Yeah. Um, so you fall. I would dehydrate so, myself. Yeah. So your shoot opens, <laughs> your shoot opens in about four seconds and then you got like about a minute from like the time that you exit to the time that you hit the ground, going like uh, 12 to 15 feet per second. So it's basically like, I, I would compare it to like jumping off like a one-story garage or like off a one-story house or something. Like that's what it's like hitting the ground. Oh, really? It's like that? Yeah. I mean, they're not designed for like a sporty, you know, like steerable landing. I mean, you're, it's designed to get as many people on the ground as quickly as possible. 
and you know the military, they'll take the lowest bidder on everything, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> including parachutes. <laughs> I always look at these things on TV, and I'm like, man, that looks so nice. Yeah. It sounds no. like it sucks. No, I'm sure you can find YouTube clips of dudes just eating shit. Oh, on I landings. bet. <laughs> yeah. Snapping femurs and stuff. Yeah, I mean... Uh, that was beer, by the way. Just heads yeah. up. I don't know why you're nursing yours. I mean, I, in the course of, uh, of my parachute career, um, I had just about everything bad happen on a jump other than a complete parachute malfunction. I had a bad landing. I uh, landed in the trees... Uh, got a concussion, busted my ankle up, had a high altitude entanglement. I got a question. What's up? Did you, this is really bad, did you have anybody not have their parachute open? Like a parachute malfunction? Yeah. Um. And did you watch anybody die? No, I never saw anybody die through okay. a parachuting accident. But I, they expect a certain percentage of casualties, like injuries for each jump. Mm. Um, I mean, uh, I mean, just a lot of stuff can go wrong. I mean, like when I had a high altitude entanglement with my buddy Rocky, we basically is like we went like under the aircraft, um, and like your chute starts to open up. Like when his was opening, I was like, his canopy was like right up in my face. And there's this like, uh, this like lighter webbing underneath like the silk or silky material. And I'm like, his static lines, you know, that go up, like, from your shoulders, your harness, you know, to your shoe. Like, I'm in those. And I'm, I'm just like, oh, boy, this is not good. And I tell you, um, in this and in other situations, I was just so happy that, like, I, without thinking, just, like, fell right back on my military training. It's like in your, you know, your pre-jump instructions and all this stuff. Um, it's like, what do you do if you're in a, you know, jumper's parachute? Higher jumper, lower yourself to the lower jumper. Like, swim your way out of the, of the static lines. And I was just like, without thinking, I'm just like, ah! Just like, <laughs> probably making that face, but like, just covering my reserve and just like, swimming my way out. And then like, lowering myself down, you know, because my parachute's open too. And Rocky, I don't know what the hell he was thinking. He, like, like, it's part of your, like, when your chute opens, you're like, look up and make sure it's open. Yeah. You know, like do a 360, make sure you're not going to crash into anyone. For whatever reason, I don't know if he just missed me or didn't look up, but like I'm lowering myself down to him, like still trying to like swim out of these static lines or, or the or the um, the parachute cord. And I like... That's got to be freaky, dude. And I, yeah, and I'm like, and like I said, you got like a minute from the time that you exit till the time you hit the ground. And I'm like still trying to kick my way out of these. And I end up like, kicking him in the head as I'm coming down and he's like Benny what are you doing man I'm like dude we're freaking tangled <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. up like I'm trying to get out I'm of about to die yeah, that's like, what I'm trying yeah, to do like, is like, not die yeah like I'm trying to get out of here we're docking yeah <laughs> <laughs> Tim just lost his game uh, I just did a spit take there <laughs> so um so as I lowered my <laughs> so, so, oh, so there's like, so many things with that conversation <laughs> that we probably cannot share with anybody, but um, yeah, just know the army has special words for things. Mm. <laughs> so as I'm as I'm lowering myself down to him, our our parachutes are like kind of like bumping into each other, <laughs> and and they're collapsing just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> they're collapsing just a little bit until they're just like resting against each other, and so like. 
you know, we know they're both open. We're both like getting ready to like turn and like pull our reserves if these things should collapse. And uh, it turns out that we just have a, you know, soft landing and some tall grass. And uh, uh, this is back in the days where I would carry a disposable camera with me back when. Jay, uh, you are old. I know. That's some OG sh- paratrooper shit right yeah, there. Yeah, it is. <laughs> OG, yeah, like I'm freaking D-Day. So I like, you know, wind up this disposable camera, and like before they were called selfies, I used to call them sorority girl pics because those were the only people that took pictures like that. You know, it's like the. <laughs> I mean, like. So you sorority picked yourself so in the midst I, of so, this? Yeah, so I, uh, uh, you know, Paratrooper Vinny has. Uh, Wait a second, so you have this picture somewhere? Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Because we're like, we're like landing. We're, I mean, we're, you know, got our arms around each other and our shoots are still on. Like, we didn't like take anything off. And you can see right behind us, they're still all tangled up. Could you send this over to me? Uh, yeah, I can find can I it. Post yeah. it with the, this That'd be podcast? awesome. We'll put it on Instagram. Is yeah, that okay. Put it on the gram. Yeah, yeah. I'll find it. Okay. Um, Sweet. Like Army at its mm-hmm. finest. And I think. Bros. Yeah. Uh, docking. <laughs> I wasn't docking. So, uh, so yeah, uh, so then like the, the drop zone, uh, drop zone safety officer, which is just like a Humvee, um, comes over like immediately. Because they probably saw us, you know, the whole time we were mm-hmm. coming down. You know, you see see a couple of shoots together like that. You're just thinking yeah. people are going to be hurt. And they come over, and they're like, holy shit, like, are you guys okay? And we're like, yeah, we're, we're fine. So and you just rode down together the whole yep, way. Yep, pretty much. Yeah. Like, That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, like an arm's length away. Yeah. Uh, and then we, uh, like... Couldn't still couldn't untangle our shoots that we even you know t- by the time we hit the ground they were still tangled up a little bit yeah. so they just bagged them up and threw them in a Humvee and then gave us a ride back up to the uh, uh, the um, the rally point on the drop zone some parachute shed and yeah. so we pull up and you know we throw our shoots over there and we walk up and we hear a couple of people saying like holy shit you see those guys on chalk two like they were tangled up like oh my god they were the whole way who's so then Rocky and I show up and we're like. Uh, yeah, that was us, and and then you know it's just, and it still is, you know, it's yeah. just a good story to tell. Bunch of houses. Yeah. Um, so then after airborne school, go up to uh, Fort Bragg, North Carolina, for um, uh, special forces preparation course, and was it like the first time I was going through? We go through like our physical, and they pulled me out because I had some like abnormal EKG, mm-hmm. and they put me on this dead man profile. For 30 days. They, the, that's literally what they called it, a dead man profile. It's like me and two other guys who they thought had these like weird heart anomalies. And I was like, well, can you... Sergeant, can you please like retake this thing? Because I just like beat everyone else in the PT test, yeah. you know, run the other day, you know, and uh, I've never had any issues. And, and for whatever reason, they like they didn't even want me to see like sunlight for a month. So... so- is that what dead man profile means? I'd never heard of it before, and I've never heard of it since. I think they just made it up. <laughs> so but, what do, I guess, what do you mean by dead man profile? What uh, doesn't they, know they, because <laughs> they made it up. Yeah. Uh, I'm guessing they didn't want me to do anything because they didn't want me to become a dead man. Okay. Um, but uh, I don't know. So it was just an odd start to the to the training for me. Um, yeah. And then. 
uh, it's just uh, you know like a land nav weed out course they take you out there and they do some land navigation courses both day and night and uh, I didn't pass it the first time second time through I was just still struggling with it and it was just in a moment of weakness that land nav can be hard for some people yeah it's and it was just uh, I was just young I didn't know like the the gravity of everything I had that I was risking and I just remember going up to one of the instructors I was just feeling really sorry for myself and I was mm -hmm. just like hey I want to voluntarily withdraw from the course and I knew immediately that I had made a big fucking mistake and um, because then it's you're just knees of the army I just want to tell you man like just I got a lot of respect for you just telling that part of the story because I think a lot of guys don't tell that part Every, you always hear about the guy who who made it or yeah or and you never hear about the regular guy that because I know the rest of your story I know what yeah. happens and so I want I want to hear that I want everybody else to hear that part too of, of what you went on to do and, uh -huh. and how you still you're 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 a great soldier and you you did everything mm. well for our country and um, yeah and just to put it into perspective of like people who did go on to do like awesome things I mean Tim Kennedy was in uh, we were, I was not in basic training at Airborne with him, but we were in at the same time. Mm -hmm. And we both ended up at, uh, uh, Sopsy, uh, at the same time. And he obviously went on to do um, crazy stuff. Am amazing things. But what I wanted to say is like, just you, thank you. Thank you for saying that because yeah, it's, it's not, I don't think that's, that's super hard to say, like to be like, Hey, here's the deal. I pushed out and I said, yeah. I wanted to quit. And so I just want to tell you like, man, to man, like. Yeah, 100%. I never heard that story until you just said it. So, yeah. Uh, and I, I know that some, like, if it was me, I would feel very, like, potentially judged. And so I want to tell you, I admire that, just no. that you would share that. Yeah. Because I've never heard that part. It's not a fun story to tell, but it's the truth. You know, I think I think a lot of times, like, we do, we do put people that do awesome things up on a pedestal. And uh, rightfully so, in some cases, like, they do amazing things that nobody else wants to do but it's easy to tell those stories mm -hmm. you know it's not always easy to say look i made it this far and then i quit yeah. but then also or, like saying you took the shot yeah. at least you took the shot yeah and that's i that's kind of the whole point of the podcast in particular is to find the guy who's willing to take the shot and hey yeah. sometimes you're gonna make it and sometimes you're not and sometimes you're gonna have a cool story to be like hey i broke my femur okay i couldn't do it or sometimes you're going to say, you know what, I just couldn't do it. And that was just, and yeah. I, I truly admire you for saying that. Thank you. Thanks. But then it's yeah. also like, I didn't do that, but I still moved on. Yeah. Like I still did stuff. Like I still yeah. had a life. I still had accomplishments. So, yeah. That's awesome. Thank Good you. Job. Those yeah. comments are highly masturbatory, but. Uh, Miss what? Masturbatory. went to college. I don't know. <laughs> I think he's making up more Scrabble. He's making words. more stuff up. He's <laughs> yeah. in the army too long. Yeah, I never uh, Scrabble with him. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah. So from there, uh, I go right up the street, needs of the army, to the 82nd Airborne Division. Okay. And uh, that was in. I remember. The, uh, so my first day in the unit was like. Excuse me. Nice. Uh, it was like the day before Thanksgiving, 2004, and uh, I get the weekend off. Came back for a field problem. And then I'm going to do, and you know, we do some, you know, you live life as a young paratrooper. And then we, what was 
was this? The initial word we get, you know, like, of course, like, horrible communication that goes on in the military. It's like, yeah, uh, well, pack your bags because uh, we're leaving in, like, February. You know, it's like, yeah. It's That's like, the best. Nobody ever realizes, like, yeah, get your stuff together. Yeah. We're going to leave in, like, six months from now, but make sure it's packed and yeah. ready to go. And we're going to do a gear inventory. Yeah, every, yeah, so. Every three, every weekend. Yeah. Uh, Before you go on Liberty. Yeah, so that was, so rolling into 2005. So summer of 2005, we go up to um, uh, West Point to train West Point cadets in their, like, summer, like, wow. beast training. And uh, I remember before we left there, again, like, classic military stuff, they were like, uh, when we go up to West Point, everyone will wear long pants and a collared shirt and closed-toed shoes. And we're like, man, this seems like it's going to suck. And, yeah, so we ride. So they're, And, like, they didn't let us pack, like, anything but that. And we're like... Mm-hmm. All you guys wanted to wear was tap out shirts. Oh, like God, yeah, no. But, <laughs> so we get up there. Wait, wear what? Tap out tap shirts. Tap out shirts. Because yeah. back then, that's exactly what yeah. everybody in the military every, wore. That's what every young private. No joke. Like, yeah. every dude wore a freaking tap out shirt. Like, oh my goodness. Yeah. And never tapped anybody out. Yeah, so we get up I'll there. I'll be honest, I might have one or two later. Uh... <laughs> But you had a tan belt. So. Yeah, I had a tan belt. Yeah, you had a tan belt. So we get up there, and they got us living in construction trailers. Like, t- we had 20 men living in a construction trailer. Go in a construction trailer next time and figure out how you're going to get 20 dudes in there in bunk beds. And um, uh, so then, it, I think it took about a week for all order to break down. And, like, <laughs> we're, like, running around in gym shorts, uh, drinking beer. Uh, like uh, We have, like, a wire spool table and, like, uh, Walmart decorations. We might have had, like, a, a tire spray-painted white with some fake flowers in it. Who knows? But uh, we get back from that in, like, uh, August or September, and it was, like, three weeks' notice. We deployed in real short notice to Iraq. It was, like, we did, like, a, a jump. Or something like when we like all assembled in a certain area, the battalion commander's like, "Hey, uh, great job, everybody! By the way, we're going to go to Iraq in three weeks." <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> what? Yeah. So uh, you guys, you know, you were super pumped. Yeah, everybody's I mean, pumped probably at this time. They're like, "Yes!" Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's what it's what everyone that joined at that time, you know, that was in the airborne infantry wanted to do. Oh yeah. So, uh, September 05 to January of 06, we go over to Iraq. Um, Where we at? We're based out of Al-Assad Air Base. Okay. What was it like over there at that time frame? Uh, was it built up or was it smaller? I mean, I only, I never went back and I was never there before. There were... I guess what was it like when you were there? Uh, the soil was like talcum powder moon dust. And they had us in some shitty, like transient tent area and then they moved us over to <clears throat> Camp Ripper with the Marines mm-hmm. I don't remember <laughs> I was expecting more of a reaction out of you but uh, so I don't know if it was I, the reason why is because so I was in I was in Iraq in 06 and 07 so I was like right after you kind of maybe two maybe two states okay. behind you um, and by the time I got there, Al-Assad was like this massive, is like the biggest base you could go to. They had McDonald's and freaking 
Um, so I was just curious what it was like while you were there. I remember it uh, It had a good chow hall. It had like a green beans coffee. That's where you know it's at. Um, and there might have been like a Burger King or a Pizza Hut. Okay. But I mean like the chow hall was good. The gym That's was nice. good. They had a bus system. Oh, okay. Um, and they had those like weird mini pyramid like ammunition um, uh, ammunition storage areas. Okay. And... Uh, I remember going out to a firing range, and they have one of those signs, like the classic, like, arrow this way, like Los Angeles, you know, 7,000 miles or whatever. They had one for Fort Wayne. It was like Really? Like, yeah. It was like Fort Wayne. That's awesome. Did you take a picture? I didn't. Uh, oh, dang it. I didn't have my disposable camera on me. Um, but I figure it must have been from someone in our air guard, because it was an air base. Okay. And then another time we were, we were going to the chow hall and they had like, or that like, they had Jersey barriers, which are like concrete barriers that yeah, are yeah. like, that are like hip length high. And then they had like the plastic ones, like the orange, you know, mm-hmm. construction zone ones. And someone looks at one and it was from Three Rivers Barricade, Fort Wayne, Indiana. And someone's mm-hmm. like, hey, Corona, not only is there a sign pointing to your hotel, <laughs> for your hometown, from the firing range over there, but there's a construction barrel from Fort Wayne, Indiana, and it was just like, you know, the, that's kind of cool. Though. The air guard just jacking shit from construction zones, you know, just representing. Yeah, thank you, air guard. <laughs> representing, yeah. Um, so that deployment. What was that deployment like? What did you guys do? Uh, we worked hard. I mean, we were patrols. I'm assuming. Oh yeah, we were there. I think like a week before they sent us out for our first mission, and it was okay. and it was kind of like a. Was that your base station? Was that up? Yeah, for a while. That's nice. So we ran missions out of there. Did uh, you Did you guys have uh, trailers, or were you in tents or swats? We were in tents over in Camp Ripper. Okay. And then. Um, Cots. Uh, no, we had bunk beds. Oh really? Yes. Yeah. What's up? Four star. What kind of flooring? Uh, I know this sounds really dumb to other people who's asking, but like who, who are listening. But this is a legitimate question because yeah. if you've ever deployed, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's either you have a dirt floor, you have a plywood floor, or you have a. I've never had it, so I'm assuming a, laminate Air Force. Yeah, like an ant laminate. You know, we, yeah, that type of floor. We ended up working up to that on my Iraq deployment, but um, I guess to take those boundaries a little bit further. You can either be in a place where you're sleeping on the hood of your Humvee or in the dirt or on a poncho and, you know, maybe the, maybe you step, maybe you upgrade to a place that actually you're staying at and then you get to burn your own crap. Yep. <laughs> uh, and then it just gets better from there, obviously. <laughs> but, uh, no, we ran missions out of there uh, very frequently. We spent very little time back at the base. We would air assault in. Uh, to cities and uh, I say that's a, that's a bad way of describing it. We, so we would aerosol, meaning we would just take helicopters into the middle of the freaking desert and then walk our happy asses in with a hundred pounds oh, of that gear. That sounded way cooler the, the, yeah. the way you said it. Before. Yeah, and then walk our happy asses from here in on out. Tell the story that with a hundred pounds of gear and then um, you know just take over cities. You know we'd have our we'd have our high value targets that would get hit first and then. We would, you know, just set up uh, OPs or, uh, you know, patrol bases. Usually, I mean, in the, in the classical sense, you're on the ground, but we would just 
basically steal somebody's house with a good vantage point and put our guns up there and then run patrols out of there and systematically clear cities. Tell me that Delta, Delta Force story that you're telling me at the bar. Oh, okay. So was this in Iraq? Yeah, this is Iraq. So like the first, so we did this big, we did like a warm up mission in, in this like housing compound that nothing really happened. The first big mission we did was in the city of Haklania. And it's, it's like right there on the Euphrates River across uh-huh. from Haklania and Haditha. Yep. Yeah. It's like where the river runs. I got a buddy of mine from another unit that was actually, that worked that AO. Yeah, it was after, pretty hot. After, I understand. No, no, maybe when you guys got there. <laughs> uh, so we go in, and it was like it, we were there for a solid month, and uh, so we get in, and uh, so I'm in a mach- machine gun team at the time. I'm in weapon squad. I'm an, I'm an AB, which would normally be an ammo bearer, but uh, let's just call it what it is. I was an ammo bitch, <laughs> and uh, just carried a ton of weight just a ton of weight and we get in to like the edge of the city on like our like you know like after our you know six click walk yeah and 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 like uh i just remember like setting up with my gun team and once my you know my eyes start adjusting a little bit i'm like looking around i'm like we're literally like in a pile of trash it's like plastic bottles (laughs) it seemed like it was nothing but like water jugs and like laundry detergent bottles and like just like lost shoes you know around and um, so the Chinook flies over and just gets like just raked from the bottom with AK fire and uh, I'm you know little little um, specialist Corona maybe maybe PFC Corona at the time I'm, I'm just like uh, hey we should go do something about this you know but like by by the time that I'm like looking over to like to be like hey you know, can can we ask Sergeant Fusco if we can go fight the war now? <laughs> these these Delta dudes just, you know, just like which were with your squad or your platoon? Uh, yeah, they were attached to us, and uh, there were there were a few of them just kind of floating around on on these missions that we That's did. Super cool and weird. Uh, what, what did they do? They just showed up, and what what you were just like, all right, just walk with us. No, they were attached. There were some, there were some SF guys, and there were a couple Delta guys, and they went by like a. Uh, three-digit uh, um, code team or whatever. I'll just call them one, two, three for now. But um, they uh, they just kind of looked at each other and it was like, hey, you, 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 let's go. And they just took off into the darkness. We heard some gunshots. They came back and it was just like, damn, like that's that's what G- that's what G- that's, that's super sexy. That's what G- I'm just super. <laughs> yeah. That's super cool. Yeah, it's like I uh, wish I could see that. Yeah, it's like that's that's what GI Joe does. Like that's that's sexy. Yeah, that's what GI Joe does. And yeah. then uh, so then the, the for the rest of that month we just um, did a lot of patrols. I was in like I said in the machine gun team in the gun team. So we just did a lot of Overwatch um, and. Uh, we, God, it was just a long, long mission. I remember that when we left and the Marines took over, um, I think that's when things got a little sideways, but, uh, but yeah, that was when, so that was my first firefight over there. Okay. Yeah. What was that like? Um, I had, so this was on, I remember it very clearly, October 15th, Mm. a couple days before my birthday, and we were... Um, pulling security for people that were being transported across the river by bus to go vote for their local election. 
and I just come off that guard shift. I come back up to this compound we had, and I like, I think I had like a piece of cardboard from an MRE box that I laid out, <laughs> laid on the ground. I had like just, you know, had an MRE, taken my boots off, and this freaking RPG just comes screaming in this compound and hits this truck, and it's like, whoa, holy shit, like, wow. Yeah. Um, I, it, it, I mean, obviously, like, you know, as time goes on. That's got to be intense. Bro. Uh, yeah, it's like. How far away were you? Um, it was maybe 50 meters. Dang. It was, I just remember. So 50 yards away, and you're, like, seeing this vehicle just get lit up. I didn't, I looked over, like, at the sound of it and just see this, like, you know, so I see the explosion. It's like, holy shit, let's go. Yeah. And uh, we run down to uh, the riverbank. You know, we, we grab our gear, we like run through this market and... Uh, Did you grab your boots? I grab my boots, yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, and we go running out and like we're taking fire from like across the Euphrates River. We're exchanging rounds with people. <clears throat> and I remember running, there was this building and I think it was like a restaurant, but it was like literally right there like on the river. Like if there were not a war going on, it'd be like a pretty cool place to like go have a meal yeah. and, and look over at the Euphrates River and admire the history of it. As it was, I'm racing for the door and there's rounds that are like getting walked down from the corner like do like closer to the door. And I just remember like running in there and I just remember thinking like I'm going to get fucking shot today. Like just like just like I just remember thinking like that clearly I'm just like just like run faster and I turn in the doorway and no shit the guy right behind me sergeant devon uh takes a ricochet round like right in the shoulder like hits him like barely on the soft armor of his uh iba like the body armor we had yeah. at the time and it just like spins him around and he was literally right behind me i'm not trying to make up this like no yeah. shit there i was story but it just like spun him around like a rag doll and i was just like "Ooh, damn are you okay man <laughs> <laughs> So glad that wasn't yeah, me. It's like, so, <laughs> sorry, I stutter stepped right there at that first step. But uh, you know, he like he's like immediately touching his shoulder. He's like, oh, he's like, it hit the soft armor. It's like, woo, like okay, I'm you know I'm going up to the roof or whatever. So it didn't go through. No, it. Uh, I remember later on, he you know like after everything was said and done, he you know he took his shirt off and he looked at it and it looked like looked like he got shot with a paintball gun. Huh. Really? He's so damn lucky. I yeah, mean, he is. Like, you figure, like, you know, whatever millimeter of angle it takes, and then a ricochet factored into that. Yeah. It manages, and he was a shorter guy. I mean, I, I don't know. There's just a lot of factors mm. in that. So uh, I get up on the rooftop. I'm with my buddy Walsh. We're exchanging some rounds. And then uh, they're like, all right, you know, we're coming back down. We're going somewhere else. And I remember, um, I remember like, going back out of the building and then running behind a concrete jersey barrier. And I see a couple of my buddies, like, heads poking up over this concrete barrier. And their mouths are just open, like, like, wide open. And I'm just, like, running at them. And I'm like, wonder what they're looking at, you know. And then I, like, <laughs> I, like jump behind this, I jump behind this uh, barrier and this barrier. And at and some point in me running out and, and getting behind the barrier, the hand grip, the pistol grip falls off my rail system. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh shit. And I was like, I was like, I need to go back and get that. And I like run back into the street. And I don't know if I, everything was just happening so damn fast. Like mm -hmm. I grab it and then I come back and they're like still looking at me like all wide eyed. 
And then I jump behind the barrier, and then I look back, and like the next people coming out, and it's like rounds like pinging off like all over the dirt, and I'm mm. just like, oh! And my buddy like slaps me, and he goes, "It looked just like that when you came back." <laughs> and I'm just like, oh shit! Like, okay, like uh, you know, it's, it was, you know, it was just one of those days where you just think like, like I said, like oh, that was supposed to be my day. No, or it was just like. That could have been worse. Okay. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was, I don't know, that was, uh, I mean, just a, a memorable moment of, of that uh, deployment. And then, I mean, we, like I said, we worked hard. So we ended up running ops out of um, Al Qaim train station, which was another shitty marine base. The, the only saving grace to yeah. that. They had, All of them. They, <laughs> they had. This is what it is. They had great oatmeal. There, which was like a okay. weird thing to be known as, but the chow hall had good oatmeal. I don't know if the cook was just you know a little liberal on the brown sugar or what, but uh, <laughs> we uh, yeah I remember we we ran uh, missions out of there like all the way to like western Iraq over to like the Syrian border, um, and you know it's like to touch on the like the army or marines like you know trash talking thing like the thing that I will say about the marines I. I this mission that we had on the border, it was like, you know, like old Ubaidi and new Ubaidi is like mm-hmm. the missions. And the tactics that we used were so different. And I remember we went in under the cover of darkness. All, we all had NVG capability, night vision capability. I guarantee you the Marine Corps didn't have any They of that. didn't. And <laughs> it's I, so bad. And we, and we had... Vietnam up. Yeah, and we had... You know, we had, you know, a plan for, you know, our high-value targets and then a systematic clearing, like, broken up into quadrants. And, like, by the time the sun came up, we had already hit our targets. We were starting, like, a sort of a systematic clearing. And I just remember being, like, up in, you know, a support-by-fire position with my gun team and seeing the Marines roll in, like, right at dawn. Or, like, it was, like, already daylight. And I'm just thinking, like, why did they wait? Like... And I, then I remember someone telling me, like, they, not everyone had nods at the time, which blew me away because every swinging dick private had NVGs in the Army. Sorry. And, um, we used to have Vietnam era stuff. And then uh, it was just like a, it was just like a house by house by house thing. And it was just like, I mean, you don't have to be Einstein, you know, over in Iraq to just say, like, well, the Marines are coming my way. I'm going to lock and load my weapon on a tripod. And I think he ended up mowing some, like, they lost like a whole fire team like going into mm-hmm. a house and then because of that they like called in like attack helicopters and came in real heavy with like track vehicles like they ended up having like this whole population of the town like corralled literally in like a sea wire like area and i remember after a couple of days when we were like done with everything and we like left like the marines were still like struggling to to take their you know their little town and it just Again, like, I'm not trying to, like, trash talk Marines. I just, like, felt bad that, like, those were the tactics that you guys were were operating under and that it co- would cause loss of life. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, there's always going to be, like, you know, some good-natured shit-talking between branches, but, like, I, that's that was just, you know, the thing that really shocked me about that. Mm. Um, so... I don't know if you have anything to say about that, or you're just used to getting screwed over being in the Marine Corps. I'm used to getting screwed over being yeah. in the Marine Corps. I think every Marine will tell you that. I think that's... that's Because everyone's a Marine. Actually, legitimate. <laughs> <laughs> everyone is. It's just any, any guy off the, off the street is. 
Um, I think a lot, I, yeah, it just is what it is. Like you're used to getting all the, the bad stuff and we, I had an M2, a, I had an M16, a two service rifle in Iraq from Vietnam. Yeah. None of you guys had M4s. No. Or very few. I legitimately thought about beating up an army guy and taking his weapon from him at the chow hall. Yeah. Just because I wanted it. Like it was a nice gun and I wanted it. Yeah. And so I was thinking, you don't need it. Yeah. I have to go out this afternoon. Yeah. I would like to have that. Yeah. Give me a solid, bro. Yeah. Don't tell yeah. the don't tell the armorer. <laughs> uh, it just is what it is. I think that's what happens with the Marine Corps. I don't I've never heard of anybody like anything like that happening. Most of the time we hear from the other side of things, usually the Marine Corps has to make up its it has to make up for its illegitimate equipment with its tactics. And they usually brute force. Do, they usually do pretty You call good it tip of the spear. I think it's more of a battering ram. Uh, yeah. The Marine Corps like they will go in and they're very expeditional in everything they do and But they didn't take big part of the biggest uh, seaborne invasion in history? What do you mean? D Day? Oh sorry, we had the whole Pacific, my bad. Oh. Whatever. <laughs> you go ahead and take France. <laughs> that's why you see all these old marines with like uh, Asian wives yeah because they're smart (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah I probably shouldn't go into that yeah Um, yeah I've always I remember you telling me about that when we were sitting down talking and that sucks yeah but yeah it is what it is sometimes there's there's mistakes and I have no idea what, what was going on with that usually everybody's Usually you have pretty good tactics, I feel like, because you don't have the equipment that you need. And I usually find, from what I've seen, a lot of times in the Marine Corps, um, from, like I said, what I have seen is the tactics are more common sense because you only can use what you have and you're given only very limited equipment Mm -hmm. to get the job done. So There's no such thing as a negative. No such thing as a negative. Just a creative way to overcome the objective. Yeah. Um, I live by that motto now. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, let's see. So, get back from uh, Iraq, January of 06. Um, and I tried to reclass. Uh, so, my buddy Jesse and I are at the... What do you mean by reclass? Uh, reclassify my MOS, my okay. military occupational uh-huh. specialty. Basically, uh, get a new army job. Because... Like every little young hua running around there, you see a cool poster at the gym and you say, I'm going to be that guy. And this was for the uh, 21 Delta uh, Underwater Engineer Program. What's that? Pretty sexy, right? Uh, we have to talk about that some other time. Oof. So the hook that you know these guys had was there's like less than like 100 or 200 engineer divers in the Army at any single time. So it's like, all right. Um, so we took this, uh, like diver PT test, which was like a swim, a run, pull-ups, push-ups, sit-ups, you know, standard type stuff. And then from there we go to, uh, put our packet together and, you know, just a transfer packet. It was just a ton of paperwork, you know, medical examinations and stuff like that. I had to get like yellow fever shot and all this crazy stuff. Uh, and then, uh, something called stop loss happened. Uh, I had just received my orders to go to 21 Delta Engineer Diver Training over mm-hmm. in Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. Mm-hmm. But I got caught by stop loss because the the big 
uh, war in Afghanistan uh, basically screwed a bunch of people over. And if you thought you were going to go do anything else, you're dead wrong. So uh, I was pretty crushed by that because I started working on it in like January. And then it was like uh, July, you know, I mean, like this isn't something I just like put a packet in for and like tried to like take off real quick. It was like six months I was mm -hmm. doing this. So I knew that they were still giving slots, training slots to people that wanted to go to ranger school. And everything I had done to get my engineer diver packet together superseded what needed to be done for ranger school. So, and I was in great shape. I had been doing a bunch of swimming, running, lifting, more running. And um, so I got the approval to go to a, um, take the uh, pre-ranger course, the PRC PT test. And uh, passed with flying colors. I was actually, I was actually the only person that passed um, the PRC PT test mm -hmm. of like the six or eight dudes in my company that wanted to go do it. And I was hungover and drunk as hell. So that just goes <laughs> to sh show you the strength of uh, paratroopers and willpower. That's uh, yeah. so. Um, uh, go to uh, pre ranger course in Fort Bragg. Pass that. Go on to ranger school at Fort. Benning, Georgia, and one of my parachute injuries happened on our training, our proficiency training jump, like the first week there, it just totally jacked up my left ankle, and uh, um, people ask what the worst part about ranger school is, for me, it was being there so damn long, Yeah. Uh, so it's broken down into three phases, you got your Benning phase, um, which includes like your initial, uh, what they call it, like, uh, rap week or I forget what it is basically you got like your your ruck march your run your water confidence your PT test and all this stuff just your weed out stuff <clears throat> and land nav and stuff like that um, and then you do like your patrol phase and then you have a phase up in the mountains of Dahlonega Georgia and then down in uh, Eglin Air Force Base Camp Rudder I think that's in Florida your Florida phase basically so um the meat and potatoes of ranger school is like passing your graded patrols where they wake up in the morning and got an operations order and they say you you and you like you're the platoon sergeant you're the platoon leader you guys are squad leaders you know you got 30 minutes to brief your warning order total gear layout which people often forget about is one of the worst things about ranger school when you're out in the field you have to unpack and pack your stuff every freaking day that sounds sucky. Yeah, it's pretty sucky. So it's like a kick in the balls. Oh god, especially in Florida phase when there's just nothing but <coughs> nothing but sand everywhere. Um, what's the what's the point? Uh, so the point is to put you into a leadership position um, and just apply a whole lot of stressors through the whole process: sleep deprivation, food deprivation. You're given impossible time hacks and unreasonable standards, and you have to just work together with your small unit and accomplish a task. I meant specifically of the gear. The Never gear? Did. Oh, the gear layout? Just to mess with you, but also just to have a standardized way of, okay, make sure everybody's got this. So there's no excuses. So you can be like, oh, I don't have my sleeping bag. You know, it's yeah. like, you know, it's just, uh, it's one, it's a stressor just to, you know, like you don't have to pack, unpack your record. You, like everyone had the same stuff like yesterday and we yeah. don't. We know they don't let you put... Why don't they just do that? Why don't you just look out for each other? Uh, because your instructors check your layout. Gotcha. You have to lay it out in a systematic way. It's just another way to uh, test you. 
Did you conduct a, conduct a good gear layout? Well, you your guy over here's got his socks in the wrong place. If he's got his socks in the wrong place right now, is he going to know where your mm. nearest assets are if you guys start taking contact later on in the day? Like it's just like an attention to detail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Focus on focus on that stuff. I think some of that stuff's so good because yeah. people forget about that. Mm-hmm. Like the attention to detail stuff really transcends yep. to other areas of life. Mm-hmm. So. so like your like I said, like your meat and potatoes is like when you get put into a graded position and it's like you either have to brief the mission, conduct the mission, or like, you know, assault an objective. And for every one of those tasks that you're in, you've got a ranger instructor, an RI looking over you with a checklist. Know, making sure you're hitting these things and uh, first time through the bending phase uh, failed patrols uh, I had a recon that went well and then I had one that didn't go well because just couldn't really move with a purpose with my ankle all jacked up so I repeat the Darby phase but I don't have to do all of the the rap week stuff like the ruck mark and all that stuff which was good they called a Darby insert where you just insert it into the, the Darby phase where you start doing patrols Make it through that, make it through uh, uh, the mountain phase, which um, uh, I guess like the you know like the takeaway from that was when I got my go in my in my um, in my leadership position, I was uh, you know machine gun squad leader, so it was like oh it's my bread and butter. I was in a mm-hmm. gun team in Iraq, you know I got this, so I got three guns and I'm just like orchestrating them, you know, like a symphony, just like, you know, orchestrating like barrel changes and rates of fire. But the whole time we're setting in to wait on this ambush in classic military, like ranger school fashion, like you carry all this gear around with you that keeps you warm and you can't wear it. You all this like wet weather gear that keeps you dry and you can't wear it. All this food and you can't eat it. So we set in and it starts raining and we're like, all right, you know, we're getting wet. And then it starts getting cold and it's like sleet turns to snow and we were just freezing our asses off here, cuddling together to make warmth. I mean, I've done some things. Docking. Cuddling for, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. for body heat. <laughs> so, uh, so I get my go there and then get down to Florida phase, and I just had some some really, really bad patrols, some really complex days. Go ahead. So I'll be the stupid question, guys. Yeah. So you carry all this gear. Can you explain why, why won't they let you put that on? Like when it's raining, when it's cold. Why do you carry it and you can't can't wear it? So it's just another stressor that they apply because um, you're just carrying a crazy amount of weight, uh, and it and they just want you to be uncomfortable. They they want you to be wet. They want you to be cold. They want you to be tired, and they want to continue to test you all the way through that. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, I have done mm, some things in ranger school that. I guess. <laughs> Sorry to make that face. Uh, you know, you do what you have to do. I um, I dumpster dove for food yeah. because we, uh, I forget who it was that pointed out, but they were like, we had like a certain color of trash bags, whether they were clear or black. And our ranger instructors had, you know, the opposite color, clear or black or whatever. And someone's like, yeah, our instructors don't, you know, they're not eating their whole MRE, like, they, they're not, you know, they're not like counting calories, like trying to get everything they can get in. So it's like when we would go back to camp after, you know, if we'd go out for like three or four days and run and do patrols and we'd come back, sometimes they would, we'd have the opportunity to have our trash go back or whatever it was. We knew what color trash bags they used. And, you know, when we got back and it's like, okay, you guys can go refit, you know, take a shower or whatever. Someone's like, hey, I know that black trash bag over there. 
has got some uneaten MRE food in there. And I was like, <laughs> for real? <laughs> so I uh, went dumpster diving for food. And Did you find some? Oh, yeah. It was a, <laughs> it was a payday. Uh, I mean, like, you, uh, like um, I just remember, like, like, like being so happy. I'm like, I'm literally in a dumpster with the lid closed and a flashlight, and I'm just like, <laughs> just like, and and, my, and I'm just like, you know, like I get into the bag and I'm just like, you know, it's like, oh, there's some trash in here, like eating stuff, and then it's like, <gasps> mashed potatoes, <laughs> pot roast with gravy, yeah. cheese and crackers. It's it was like, I, I, I like. I remember, like, a couple guys, I mean, we put, like, a couple, like, full MRE meals together, and it was just, like, free food, and we're just, like, people would just throw in this away. <laughs> um, so, yeah, dumpster dough for food. Um, I remember um, sleeping in bathrooms. They, they, there were, like, some uh, crapper houses on Camp Darby, you know, that you were able to use, and, you know, like, sleeping in a bathroom, like, to stay warm. Uh, I remember down in Florida phase when we did some water crossings, and it was freezing cold. First night we were down in the field in Florida, my canteens froze. Mm. I mean, you're in the panhandle of Florida, but I'm like, yeah. I didn't think it got this cold down here. Yeah. So you get done with water crossing, you're like sliding through a you know swamp river or whatever, you get to the other side and you're just freezing. It's just like, I'm going to do it, guys. I know we're going to get wet again. You just pee on yourself to stay warm for a little while. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a short-term investment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's see, what other depths did I sink to in ranger school? Slept in sleeping bags with at least one other man. Probably, probably tripled up sometimes. Um, but, uh, yeah, just, uh, it was, um, uh, army survival at its finest. Um, so I ended up spending a total of six months in ranger school, but okay. I came home for Christmas for 20 days. I was there so long, I went on Christmas exodus. I think I gained 20 pounds in 18 days. And some Im- uh, impressive feats of gluttony when I came home for Christmas. Oh, yeah. Um, but then uh, uh, graduated class 0407 on March 9th, 2007. Mm. And then a month later, I deployed to Afghanistan, met up with my unit. Nice. Um, and so my unit, I was so in between those deployments, so I deployed to Iraq with 3504 Parachute Infantry Regiment. Then the army went through like a brigade restructuring, and so by the time we went to Afghanistan, we were one five zero eight. Just for the record, mm. and um, they both de- of those are eighty second. Yeah, both of those are parachute infantry regiments. Uh, I'm not sure of the activation status. I know three five zero four has been deactivated since we were the last unit to run, or yeah, to run deployments at under three five zero four before they restructured, and then. 1508 might have been rolled up here soon or recently. I don't know. But um, so my unit had deployed in January. I showed up in April. So they had already been there. Uh, and they were in um, Fab Salerno, which in which is in coast or Khost, Afghanistan, southeast. And um, so they'd already been there three months when I show up. And we were originally on a year-long deployment, and mm-hmm. they said, uh, you know, my, as soon as I get there, they're like, uh, hey, y- y'all heard we got extended, you know, because <laughs> this, this is when the Army was just like, hey, we're going to have you deploy for a year. And then, like, after you're there, they're like, how's 15 months sound, you know? Yeah. Uh, so there were some guys that had, like, just gone back 
on their mid tour leave, like the the brand new guys, they're like, "You're going first, you cherry bitch." You know, like nobody cares about you. So like, I get over there, and there are like some of those guys were already like on their leave, so they would have a whole year mm. in country, which sucks. Yeah. Um. And uh, first, God, the first several months of uh, the uh, Afghan deployment were just so boring for like a for like a leg. Or not a leg, or for for you know like a, we weren't mounted. We weren't used to being in Humvees, which was like uh, like a Delta platoon type thing in, in a in a the eighty second. So we were like used to being grunts, you know, walking where we went or riding in on helicopters or whatever. So they put us in Humvees, and we were just we were bad with those. We wrecked them all the time. They were just getting all banged up. Um, and uh, we were down there from like so it was like October. We went up to Jalalabad, Afghanistan, spent like a month up there and ran some missions, and then we went down to Kandahar, drove down there, which was a long uh, GAC, they call it Ground Armored Convoy, which is just a shitty road trip. A long drive. Shitty road trip through Afghanistan in in an uncomfortable vehicle. And then uh, we get down there Thanksgiving. It's like weird how these holidays kind of like serve as landmarks for... uh, for the deployment. So, um, uh, of note in the Afghanistan or, or in the uh, Kandahar base, we, like in the beginning of the deployment, we were like running ops out of uh, our Humvees at different um, like Afghan police stations. It was like, I describe it as like Fred Flintstone's house. It was just mm. a big, huge walled compound where we were burning our own crap and there was nothing. We started out sleeping on ponchos on the ground. By the time we got to Kandahar, it was mind-blowing. So it was a Canadian-run base at the time, and um, they had a Tim Hortons out of like a... Yeah, of course. (laughs) That's what's up. Yeah. Hey, go go over to Hortons. Get the boys around, you know. If that's... I don't know. There's Irish people there. Yeah, that's a bad one. That's pretty good. Hortons, yeah. So so they had Tim Hortons. (laughs) They had a foot hockey rink on the boardwalk. Okay. Foot hockey, you know, you know, uh, like street ball, uh, and like the bo- the boardwalk was like, there was like a, it was like fat kids city. They had like, <laughs> they had like a, a like a ba- like a Baskin Robbins, a Dunkin' Donuts, a Pizza Hut, and then you get you know you got like random like so shops and little knickknack you know like bizarre type places, bootleg DVDs with like Portuguese subtitles and yeah, that's what's up. Yeah, uh, like a like an eight pack like Stallone. Schwarzenegger combo and it's like it's like a dice roll with each one you know whether you get like the overdubs or the subtitles or like it's like the it's like an actual movie or it's like the guy holding the camera yeah <laughs> who's wiggling it yeah and then the gorilla walks in front yeah yeah, yeah. but then uh, it was cr- it was so crazy to me that they had like internet on the base like you could go to like the little Afghan man trailer and he's like, yeah, what building are you? We were, so we were in hard buildings, like like floors, mm-hmm. like furniture, like yeah. plumbing, which I hate to, to like describe it in like a, like a kid that just discovered water. Nope. But it was like, yeah, it, was, it. it was like, wow, this is like the Ritz. Like yeah. there's, a, there's a bathroom with plumbing and a shower. And uh, you could get like, I remember guys like Skyping, but I didn't even know what Skype was. They're like mm-hmm. calling home with a video and I'm like, how are people disconnected? You could order a pizza from the Pizza Hut and have a dude deliver it really? to your building. Mind-blowing. Yeah. I don't even know what it's like now. This is in 0708. 
Yeah. Eleven years later, um, I can't imagine like what the like what what those situations are like. What can they do now? Uh, I'm sure. Like, I don't know. Like, I guess on that note, like how I don't like how connected were you to people when you were on your deployments? How often did you have the opportunity, and how frequently did you? Like communicate like it was significantly different between Iraq and Afghanistan. Yeah, how so? Um, Iraq, we didn't talk to anybody. Like when I was there in 06, um, I called home like once a month, maybe. And I had a phone card that I only had so many minutes on, and I got a quick phone call. It's kind of like, hey, I love you. I'm not dead. All right, bye. Yeah. Um, Afghanistan was like I could go if we were at a base that had any sort of Skyping or any type of that type of stuff, then I figured out how to do that and I could talk to them every night almost. Like, if I really, if I didn't want to wait in the line. Did you choose to? Like, would you communicate like on a daily basis? That's not a great question for me because if any of my family members are asking the question. No, I think, I think they need to know. Yeah. No, I didn't. I felt the same way. I had, it was this feeling of, I'll talk to you, and, and I, I. it's not that I don't miss my family. It's I'm in the middle of this, and I don't want to be thinking about everything at home. I kind of grew up a little bit different, though, too. Like I, yeah. I mean, the whole kind of concept of homesickness. I went to boarding school when I was in first grade, bro. Like, So this whole concept of homesickness, I already know how to combat that. Like, mm-hmm. don't call home. Like, don't. Yeah. You're here, deal with being here, you know, every once in a while, reach out to those people because it will get you through to the next point. Mm-hmm. And but by not always reaching out, it allows you to be present in the moment. Mm-hmm. And that's how I've always dealt with things. And so even now, my wife's awesome. She if I go like somewhere for a weekend, she knows I'm probably not gonna call her for the weekend. Yeah. Um and she's cool. She's like, Well, you're not in Afghanistan, so I'm I'm good. And I think it's necessary to be, at least this is the way I felt. I mean, this is my opinion. I could be wrong. Mm. Um, like, I just felt like I needed to be a bit detached. And and the, the, the thing that I always think about is there was this guy in my unit who had one of those Nokia indestructible phones. And, you know, like you said, he got the, he got the paid card on it. And he would call home so much. You know, like, we're out in the middle of freaking nowhere. And, you know, it'd be, you know, you could hear his conversation and like people would be hanging up on him at the other end. He'd be like, "Oh, like, oh, no, I, I understand if you got to go. No, that, no, that's cool. I can call back later." And I was just like, "If we are out here in the middle of nowhere, and people are saying like, hey, I got something better to do than talk to you,' it's like you're communicating too much." And I mean, like, I'm not ashamed to say, like, I, I could have communicated more. Mm-hmm. I just didn't choose to. I would send. You know, a message home to one of my buddies and one of my family members, and they would disperse it from there. And I mean, obviously, there are you know circumstances where you got you know a string of days where you got access to the phones and you call some more people. But that's kind of what I stuck to as 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 far as that because like you're right, it is so simple. Everything is so regimented. They break it down to a freaking third grade reading level for everyone. You know, um, and and then when you get home, it's like ugh. I mean, I gotta be responsible and take care of myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, it 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 kind of is weird. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, just to touch on the the communication again, like, 
everybody's relationships and communication is different like do what you need to do but i do think it is a very good point that in today's day and age where you have more accessibility to everyone than ever before it's also incredibly important to make sure you are living in your moment like be where you're at like sometimes put the phone down and focus on that's what i was kind of getting at with like Mm-hmm. I'll put my phone in my locker or I'll put my phone somewhere when I'm at the fire station because I'm supposed to be a firefighter right now. I'm not supposed to be on Facebook or doing whatever. Like, And that's just given me freedom to be like, I'm going to live my life. I'm going to do what I'm here to do. And I think yeah. in today's day and age, sometimes we get a little too wrapped up in communication mm-hmm. when, like you're saying, that guy should have been being a soldier, yeah. not like yeah. socializing with everyone, you yeah. know? So anyway. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, you know, it's like, what could you be doing at the firehouse? You know, checking your gear. Yeah, exactly. You know, training up on stuff, studying for another certification. Yeah. Uh, asking questions about, you know, whatever it is. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's, it's such an easy go-to now. Yeah. It's like, you watch people, like, if you're, like, sitting at a restaurant, try this next time. Like, wait till someone just, like, sits down mm-hmm. and just, like, wait how long it takes them to pull their phone out. You know, it's like and then write them a little letter and say thirteen seconds. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, uh, that's my new thing. Yeah. I'm gonna start doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so oh, Kandahar. Um, so Kandahar was pretty cool until we uh, ran a mission in Haklania. No, not Haklania. Musakala. I'm getting Iraq and Afghanistan mixed up. Uh, Musakala, Musakale, uh, Afghanistan, and this was in December. Um, what year? 07. Okay. December of 07. And uh, it was a Taliban held town. The Brits had like worked out some treaty, some imaginary treaty line or something, and that, of course, didn't work. And mm-hmm. things had just gone really bad there. Helmand, I guess, is is titled as the largest poppy-growing region in the world, Mm. which is just a huge um, cash crop for the whole country. I mean, think about the opioid epidemic and, you know, like everything big pharma. I mean, I'm not sure if, you know, there's some secret plot to take the Afghani heroin and turn it into, you know, like big pharma type stuff here in America. Sorry, that's a weird tangent. But in, in any way, it's it's yeah, you know another conversation. no, but it's a, you know it's a tool for uh, funding for the for their organization, whatever it is you want to call it. Um, so uh, we flew in on December seventh, and uh, it ended up being like a month long mission. I, however, only made it about two days into the mission uh, before I found out that uh, close counts with horseshoes and hand grenades. Um, we were, uh, um, so I guess to set this up a little bit, um, when I, you know, joined the army, I knew that when I volunteered for the airborne infantry in a time of war, I would be deployed. Um, and, you know, being in the 82nd, I knew I would see combat and coming back from, you know, the first deployment, uh, and volunteering for ranger school after being stop lost. I knew that, you know, hence the motto, Rangers lead the way. I knew that when I got back, there would only be one place for me, and that would be right up front. 
Um, in my platoon, I was the only Ranger qualified paratrooper other than my platoon leader, uh, our lieutenant, and our platoon sergeant. So it was just an expectation. Uh, I knew that anytime I saw anyone with a Ranger tab, it was just like, oh, like, dude can get stuff done. And I realized when I got back, that was the expectation. And so I was point man for our patrol moving through, uh, still trying to make our way into the heart of the city this night. And um, we'd had a couple days of, um, you know, some light contact. Uh, other units that had a little bit more contact, we'd taken some casualties. You guys uh, had or other units? We had, yeah. Um, couple. It seems like every ranger that I knew got shot. This dude named Vasquez got shot in the arm. Uh, a guy named uh, Sergeant Brasher got shot in his arm. He's got some, you know, permanent damage there. Both, both real solid dudes. Um, and then, so we had stopped at this compound as it, you know, it was starting to get dark. And I just remember doing a map check with my platoon sergeant, my platoon leader, platoon XO, and the first sergeant. And it's like, okay, Sergeant Crona, like, where's second platoon going? And I pull out my map and I had my plastic protractor. And I remember the XO, uh, I can't remember his name right now. He was a prior service guy who then went OCS. Mm-hmm. He, he like he made some comment about like, uh, you know, like the fact that I had a plastic protractor, which is like basic map reading. Like, mm-hmm. I guess everyone, I thought everyone carried one. By the by, the sound of his comment, like, oh, you know, Ranger Corona's got a protractor over here. Watch out, you know. Uh, so you know, I, I just remember the last uh, the last you know directions I gave. I was like, okay, we're going. 900 meters east, and then we're banging south, right into the heart of this city. As it worked out, uh, the enemy was waiting uh, about 100 meters away to ambush me as I tried to lead my patrol down this alley. Hmm. Um, and uh, I just remember we're going to this alley. There's like a wall on one side and kind of like a, a, a ditch that kind of ran down. There were some more buildings to the right, and a couple dudes crossed the road. And I guess to explain how an infrared laser works, I guess for anyone that doesn't know, um, it works only in a spectrum that you can see with night vision goggles. So when you have your night vision goggles down and your laser on your weapon is zeroed to your barrel, basically whatever your laser, your green laser points at, you're going to shoot you know, yeah. up, to, up to a certain distance. So I see a couple dudes walking across the road, and I got my weapon trained on them, and like, you know, I got it tucked in real tight. And uh, I hear a noise behind me, and so do they, and they turn, and I put a couple rounds center mass on this guy, and my frickin' rifle jams. Mm. Perfect timing, you're right. What were we saying about rifles? You had, like, Vietnam left over. Yep. <laughs> we're, we're complaining about having, like, uh, weapons left over from, like, the Grenada invasion. And uh, so my weapon jams, I go to correct my malfunction, and just feel this shockwave and see this blast like less than 10 feet away from me mm. and then another one and it's just this shockwave of these hand grenades getting thrown at me and I just remember all this de- debris just getting kicked up at me and you know like hitting my clothes and my uniform and I can't like I can't determine like what's what like I don't know what's hit my clothes I don't know what's pierced my body but I correct my malfunction and I, I'm returning fire and I'm just thinking like why the hell isn't my saw gunner returning fire? You know, the guy who's got a belt-fed weapon over to my left. And I look over, and Specialist Evan Graham's got a chunk of shrapnel in his face. He's bleeding out, and I'm just like, oh, boy. Mm. 
So I grab him up by the carrying handle and we uh, we pull back to uh, where our platoon sergeant is with the the radio man. And I'm like, hey, Graham's hit in the face. Like, I can't see how bad it is, but it's his face. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, so he's like, uh, he's like, okay, all right, well, what the fuck are you doing back here? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, hey, I think I'm hit too, you know. And I, I, someone shines a light down on me, and sure enough, uh, a chunk of shrapnel hit my knee right here, you know, about the size of a, you know, sunflower seed or whatever. And then I got a piece in my thigh, and then I guess the piece that hit my left calf was probably about the size of like a pencil eraser. And this mm-hmm. is all after X-rays have been done, and uh, I can, you know, just see that my foot's getting, you know, soggy and bloody. So um, we make our way back to this compound that we just came from. We go in the front gates, and uh, I'm like, hey, you know, like they can obviously hear what's going on in here. There's, you know, gunfire, and uh, we make our way. And I was like, hey, we got uh, we got a couple casualties coming in. They're like, okay, yeah, where are they? And I'm like, uh, right here, him and me. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, so we get in there, medics patch us up, and uh, they fly us out, and... Um, uh, we spend the night in uh, Terran Kaut, TK. They called it like a field hospital. And then we get back to Kanar the next day. And uh, I guess some unit history that goes full circle with this. Um, the field hospital on Kanar that I went back to was called the PFC Jared Dennis Field Hospital. He's a guy that was killed when 3504 deployed to Afghanistan, I think like 0405. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the date, uh, forgive me. But um, so I come back, and my buddy Seth Ricketts, who's uh, I wear his name on a, a KI memorial bracelet on my wrist, um, he comes into the field hospital and he's like, uh, he's like, uh, hey man, like, uh, it's like, uh, I, thought th- I thought those Ranger tabs were bulletproof, man. Yeah. And, uh, and it's like, uh, uh, no, no, that's not the case. He's like, well, you know, Vasquez and Sergeant Brasher got all got shot too. And I'm just like, shit, you know, like, this isn't just a funny joke anymore. Like, it's a really funny joke. Like, all the Rangers are getting hit up, you know, which is just a sick military joke. So he's like, uh, he's like, hey man, um, like, you need anything? And I don't know. I just got this like hero, like, you know, like getting carried off the battlefield. Like a band of brothers, like vision in my head, where it's like uh, you know they're getting like a carried out on a stretcher. It's like yeah, give me a smoke, you know. And I was like I don't know, I was like, I'm not a smoker, but you know, give me a cigarette or whatever. <laughs> and he's just, you know, it's just like just to you know just to say that this is happening. And uh, he's like all right, yeah, I got you. And he uh, he comes back a little while later, and he's got a pack of Marble Reds, some Cowboy Killers, and uh, his Zippo lighter. And this is like. This is like Ricketts Zippo lighter. You know, it's like if anyone needed to use it to like burn 550 cord, it's like, hey, make sure I get that back because uh, it was in my pocket when I when I jumped into Afghanistan. I don't know if you knew that, but uh, you do now. You know, so it's like, so he, like he gives this to me and I'm like, oh, I was like, you're giving me your Zippo here. Like, oh, this must be a big deal. He's just like, just, you know, just just don't lose it, whatever. So, um, you know, there's I was in the field hospital for a couple of days there and you got this like IV and antibiotic drip and I'm you know, hobbling out you know, right outside the tent to, like, smoke a cigarette with my morphine drip, and it was just, I don't know, it was just, it was how I remember that time, and uh, I guess, uh, you know, when when people see his name on my bracelet, and they're like, oh, well, you know, like, who was he, 
who is he to you? Like, what's, you know, like, what's his name? What's the story? Um, in, like, the, in, like, the no shit, like, truest sense of, like, what you think a friend is. It's, like, someone who is there for you when you really, really need them. And he was just, like, I needed someone to just come and bust my balls and, you know, make me smile. Like, when, like, it was just a really shitty time for me. I mean, I was a young ranger. For me, like, the only place for me was right out there, you know, with my unit. And I, here I am on the sidelines, like, banged up. Um, so, uh, you know, when you think of, you know, the bond of brotherhood, however, however you want to break that down. But, I mean, that's, that's you know, for me, as real as that gets. And I'm sure that you've, you know, experienced that with, you know, your, your friends in the Marine Corps. I guess that's, for me, the, you know, the way that I would you know, wrap up my Afghan time. Um, I don't know. You're not blinking anymore. It's <laughs> just romantic. That's all I got to say. That's a great story. No, I, I just wanted to hear your story, so. Yeah. It, um, uh, definitely the shittiest night I've ever had. Um, and it kind of sets the bar high for, like, the suck factor. Yeah. It's like, how much does this suck? It's like, well... <laughs> Doesn't, doesn't suck as bad as you know, someone throwing hand grenades at me. You know, it's like you go over there and try to defend freedom, and you know, some knucklehead you know starts throwing some World War II leftover hand grenades down the alley at you. But uh, you know, it hasn't slowed me down. Um, after the deployment, I went on to complete EIB training, which is Expert Infantryman Badge Training, which is you know, there's a big. Is after you got all the stuff taken out, or uh, no? Oh, so the shrapnel. Um, I still got a piece in my thigh. I still got a piece in my calf. Um, the piece in my knee, actually, a buddy and I cut out of my knee uh, in his apartment. Which nice. Is, Classy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's the way to do it. Yeah, it used to, like, float, like, right on top of my knee. You could, like, feel it right under the skin. Did you just get, like, super drunk one night and then just, like, cut that sucker out of there? Uh, No. It was in the middle of the day. and Oh, perfect. Okay. I had, Not night. Middle uh, of the day. I had, asked, uh, I had asked the medics to cut it out because it was, like, it's right here on the top of my kneecap. So if I would, like, bang it on something, imagine, like, the sharp pain of a piece of metal just, like, stinging you right there. And I was like, hey, can you guys, can you guys take this out? And they're like, well, it's not causing any problems. We're going to leave it. And I was like, yeah, but it is causing me problems. And we're like, well, we might do more damage if we take it out. I was like, well, then I'm going to take it out myself. Well, we, yeah. would, we wouldn't recommend you do that. Well, why don't you take it out for me? <laughs> so we ended up taking it out in a clean and sterile method. And then we went back to the barracks and uh, got a little drunk. And then I went and like had it in my hand, and I was showing it to the medic. I was like, hey, doc, look at this. And then someone like bumped me. And it like flew oh, off in the grass, and I was just like, ah, oh well, well, I didn't like it in my knee anyways. I probably would have lost it sooner or later, so <laughs> now it's gone, and I don't care. That's a great story. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I wish it were like better, but it's very anticlimactic. That's great. Yeah, that's a great story. It's like, well, it's gone now. It is what it is, man. Yeah. I think it's awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, but like I said, it hadn't slowed me down. Uh, my like get out of the army pipe dream was like uh, go to a college walk onto a cross-country team, and I did that. I mm -hmm. uh, came back in November of 08, and in the, was the f walked onto the cross-country team at uh, IPFW. We had no business being a Division One cross-country team, but because of the uh, basketball and volleyball programs there, we got our D1 status. So I was able to be competitive with some of the guys on the team, uh, but not in races. Man, that would be a kick in the dick right there. 
Here's the guy got blown up by a bomb, <laughs> and he's competing with you, you soft athlete. So, Dang. So, so, so and he's old as hell. All get out. Old yeah, that's all what I wanted to he say. He still has metal in his leg. Yeah. yeah. So I was, Not from a knee replacement, <laughs> yeah. but from a war. So, yeah, I was 26, 7, and 8 years old when I ran at uh, in college. And um, you were a young guy. I was like a decade older than people that I ran against. Well, I mean, like when I went in. Yeah, I was well, twenty. No, don't go based on his age now. No, 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 no. Oh, so like when I went into the army. Yeah, I was twenty when I went in, which is. I mean, there's a lot of eighteen, nineteen year olds. How do you feel about your time in the army? I feel like it was a great experience. That's awesome. Um, you look back on that, and are you proud of what you did? Yeah. Good. You know, I feel like. Uh, I always say it this way. Hopefully Amanda's a lot of growing up between the ages of 20 and 25. And I spent those years in a highly structured environment, high-stress environment, and there's nowhere else you can go as like a 22-year-old guy and be put in charge of like four other dudes, their health and welfare, a couple million dollars of equipment, sensitive items, and then they're like, oh yeah, by the way, here's some machine guns, uh, get on that helicopter, you're going to go run around yeah. and go nuts. And, and you know, there, there's like, there's a certain lethality to just some like wild ass, like 19, 20 year old people with saw, machine guns, squad, automatic weapons, which is like a... Those, those things shoot themselves. Yeah. So, I mean... Yeah. So it's like, it's like, you know, it's like there's, there's, there's a lot of value to like operators and those guys, but it's like you turn like... Some you know twenty year old paratroopers loose on you know on something and you know there's not going to be much left of it. I mean it's just the way that they operate. It's, you know, um, so anyway, yeah, I I really look back on that. And although there were you know of course there were crappy times, but like the everything that like shines through, like even in the crappiest times of like ranger school deployment, whatever. There's like there's always like a funny story. There's mm-hmm. always like uh, there's just always something, you know, and it's like, it's the thing that, like, it's not like the crappy stuff shines through. I'm not as jaded. It's like, oh, yeah, that sucked, you know. <laughs> you know, it's like. You have the ability to laugh at it. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And then even the stuff you deal with now, even if it's not the best, you can laugh at it, too. Yeah. And then I laugh at people who try to complain about how hard life is. Yeah. And I, th- I think that's exactly the whole concept of like Independence Day and the same type of people that did that beforehand. It's a struggle, man. And like from our forefathers, I think that's awesome. Think Think about how hard life was back then. Yeah. Like it's so much easier now. But even then, like you have guys that are still carrying on that exact same tradition like yourself. And I think that's absolutely amazing. Yeah, I think like even on our worst day, we still live in a in an amazing country. Life where, is like, so easy here. Even on the worst day of an American's life, you're still an American. Like you're still, I know we, people throw it around a lot, but truly, you're still free. Like there's no, there's no other country that actually offers that. No. I've been all over this earth, and there's no other country that offers the way that things are offered here. You are so allowed to believe what you would like to believe. You are allowed to feel what you would like to feel. You are like to, you are allowed to say what you would like to say. And legitimately, everybody will tolerate you. And so I, anybody out there, 
if you are listening, I just want to let you know that you live in the most amazing country that everybody on the face of the planet legitimately wants to live in. And it, it is a great country. And you are a great example of the men and women that live in this country and are the representation of this country in other places as well. Think about like some areas of the world where there's just like incredible levels of poverty. What is it that people want there? They want America. They, no, they want clean no, water. <laughs> they want clean water in America. Yeah, they want like oh we're gonna we're gonna build a road we're gonna you know make a religious center we're gonna build a school we're yeah. gonna give you all this stuff they're like um, how about a well yeah. we need clean water what do we do here in America we have so much clean water we shit in it yeah like. Next time, like, someone tries to tell you, like, how hard life is because they can't, like, get a Wi-Fi signal, gently yeah. remind them of that. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's something to take with us as we're, as we're going into, you know, today as you guys are listening to this. It's just to remember and, and to say, you know, I want to tell you thank you for that. Um, I appreciate that you're welcome for my service. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> the best part is, oh, is yeah. that you're so flippant about it. That's great. Please, and and I think that's so wonderful. I think that's legitimately like if you guys ever get a chance to go to a vet and talk to him, that's probably the best part. Is that it's okay because he probably will make a joke about it, and he probably will be flippant about it, or she will, um, and. I just I think that's absolutely amazing. So as you guys go out there today and as you guys are celebrating your independence as the United States of America, I want to let you know that we're still continuously going on and doing that. Um, I think we need to wrap it up probably for the day. But Vinny, I want to say thank you so much. We want to do a follow-up because yeah, you actually sure. have stuff going on that is um, – you're doing stuff outside of the military. Like you came on board, you have a nonprofit. What's your What's your nonprofit that you uh, guys we're, deal with? Well, we're actually a for-profit okay. organization. Yeah. All right. Go ahead. Uh, oh gosh. So um, scratch that. He does want your money. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I uh, I manage uh, the Latour de Fort organization, uh, which is. It is. is a bicycle ride and pub crawl that was originally founded by uh, my best friend, longest friend in life, and our current uh, Allen County Veteran Service Officer, Joseph Wasson. I've uh, been best buddies with him since kindergarten. We grew up playing G.I. Joe's and eating peanut butter sandwiches together. So after high school, he joined the Army for three years. I joined the Army for five years. But every contract in the Army is for technically eight years. Mm. So you do your active time and then your inactive time where you have the risk of being called up or the opportunity to be called up uh, back into service. So Joe does his three years and he comes home. I do my five years and I come home in November of 08. And then early 2009, Joe gets a recall notice. And he had previously been with uh, a cavalry scout down at Fort Knox. And then he gets the notice that he's going to be deploying with the Mississippi National Guard to Iraq for 10 months. So before he leaves, he's like, get some friends together and do a little bicycle ride pub crawl around town yeah and there were about 30 people the first year went to a few bars downtown joe goes and does his 10-month deployment um and uh uh he you know we do the 
comes back safe and sound. We do the Tour de Fort again. Had about 75 people, and every year it's just exploded in growth. Uh, after 2016, after the 2016 tour, he got married uh, on his honeymoon. Uh, was uh, blessed with the news that they'd be having uh, a baby. So 2017 rolls around, and he's thinking, "Hey, I'm. Uh, I think I'm ready to step away from this." But I just, I just cautioned him that you know we. I, I was just telling him, you know, like you got something great going on here at the time. Because what do you guys do for the tour de four? That's real quick. So at the time, so it's a, it's essentially a bicycle ride and pub crawl. Yeah, and it just. You know, our mission statement is very simple. We want to support veterans, strengthen our community, and bring people together for an awesome time. Yeah. So with that, um, the Latour de Fort in the early days made donations to Aaron's House for Grieving Children, mm -hmm. uh, Wounded Warrior Project, and um, then supported an organization called Canines for Warriors, which provides uh, rescue dogs that are trained up and paired with wounded veterans, and they operate as a service canine. Dude, that's awesome. Trained yeah. service animal. So that so uh, that was leading up to 2016, and then um, Joe sold the organization to my father, Steve mm -hmm. Corona, and he and I have managed it since then. We've made a couple changes, but pretty much kept it the same format. We took on some event sponsors so that we could make a greater contribution to the veteran community and the organizations that we support. Um, and we've just grown in, you know, some small ways. But um, what we've done the last few years is provide new service vehicles for the Disabled American Veterans Chapter 40, which operates out of the VA hospital here in Fort Wayne. And they have a service among, you know, the other programs that they have with the Disabled American Veterans. They'll, you know, if a veteran needs transportation to a medical appointment, they will pick them up at their house and take them to a medical facility, whether that's in Fort Wayne Marion uh, up to Michigan, all the way down to Indianapolis. Prior to that, they were riding around in these 15 passenger vans that had like 150,000 miles on them. And uh, we are, will replace the third vehicle in their fleet this year. And we originally set out to do that in three years, and we accomplished it in two years. That's awesome. And so this year we had to look for some other local organizations that we wanted to support. So. Uh, through our events this year, we're going to be supporting uh, the Base Community Council's Race for the Warrior, which is uh, an event sponsorship. Uh, the Concordia, Lu Concordia Lutheran High School's JRTC's program's AJR Net uh, Honor Run, a uh, buddy of mine, uh, Purple Heart recipient, and also the Disabled American Veterans, once again, mm -hmm. the Shepherd's House, uh, and the... Um, Veterans National Memorial and Shrine out on O'Day Road, just with some contributions to help uh, support those um, organizations. So, our event in June, uh, on June 1st, was our biggest Latour de Ford in every way. We had more participants than we've ever had at 2092. We had 25 locations that were included. Those are local bars and establishments mm. <clears throat> that we call tour friendly locations. So like, really, you just drive around and get hammered? Uh, no. So we, manage, <laughs> so we manage an event that uh, started as a farewell to my buddy Joe yeah. that has really turned into a tool for economic development. Because if yeah. you're, if you're yeah. one of these tour-friendly locations, if you're a bar owner, if you're yeah. a small business owner in downtown, what we've been able to provide is, in some cases, the best day of business for the year their, or their best day of business ever. Yeah. And being able to you know, make that kind of contribution, to manage an event that makes a contribution like that, to our community is just great. I mean, mm -hmm. our riders are pumping over $100,000 into the local economy in a single day, and there aren't... 
How much did you say? What was the revenue? Um, so our riders are yeah. pumping over a hundred thousand dollars into the local economy oh, on yeah, a single day, awesome. yeah. and I don't, I don't know of any other events in Fort Wayne no, that's that, legit. that are doing that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we got our naysayers. You know, we got some people that poo-poo our event, and, and you know, but that's you know, when you got your own haters, you know, you've made it a little bit. And, a little bit, yeah. That's yeah, good. That's a good I, way to look at it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then you know, like anyone who wants to trash talk it, I mean, like if if they have more to lose than me, then, yeah. then you know, like, let yeah. me let me know how vested you are. Well, I think it'd be very hard for people to trash talk you and, and what you're doing. And, and so, um, actually, we'd love to have you come back on the show yeah. if you're willing Sorry. to. Sorry, yeah, I know you um, tried cutting me off there earlier. No, I wasn't trying to cut <laughs> you off. I was just trying to say I want to give time to, to talk about, actually, my, one of my favorite parts about your story, actually, mm-hmm. is for, for you guys, Vinny is the in my opinion, one of the prime examples of a guy who, who got out and um, chased after something he enjoyed and started creating something that made him come alive, um, which is the Tour de Fort and has become a phenomenon around our city. Um, so if you guys are ever in the city of Fort Wayne and you're here during um, June and August, right? Yep, Roots we've, we've August, got, yeah, right? we've got our next event coming up on August 24th. It's called the Roots Tour, which yeah. is down like in the neighborhood where the event started, where our roots are. It's along the Broadway corridor between like um, uh, like Quimby Village where the Clyde Theater is, the 07 Pub, Hall's yeah. Original. Uh, and then we kind of dip down into like uh, Curly's Village Inn, the Office Tavern, dip it in the neighborhood and hit the Friendly Fox. And then um, got some of my favorite dive bars, The Rock, uh, Billy's Dugout, Matt Anthony Brewing Company, and um, Trouble Brewing. So it's mainly focused on the Broadway corridor. So uh, the event is on August 24th. You can register at latourdefort.com. And registration is going to be open until the 23rd. Uh, normally we cut it off after I order my T-shirts. Um, but, Which are awesome, by the way. But yeah, so them. yeah. Uh, so for, for all the people out there that still want to register late, you're going to have that option after we order our shirts. But a shirt will not be guaranteed with your order. But you can still help us support uh, local veteran organizations because they need our help and they've sacrificed a lot. Uh, a lot of them, you know, more than we have as veterans. Um, people ask me what my hard line is on, you know, well, why should I support the, the DAV? Why should I give you a check? Well, when, when we ask bars to participate in this, we ask that they make a donation to, you know, these veteran organizations. And I just say, well, I'm a disabled American veteran. I'm a lifetime member, and I'm glad that I don't need those services to get to medical appointments, mm-hmm. but I know that other people do. Yeah. So, like, I'm not trying to sound like a dick, but I, th- I think people respond to that, and they're yeah. like, oh, well, okay. Like, and when, like, you know, they're not writing checks to Latour de Fort. They're writing checks to other organizations. So we kind of act as a conduit for that, and, and being able to help out local veteran organizations is great. You know, I mean... There's a lot of people out there that, that need this help. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's awesome. So, um, yeah, if anyone uh, wants to follow us, uh, we're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Latour de Fort, all one word. Um, if guys want to, like, reach out to you, is there a way that they can reach out to you and just kind of ask you some questions? Because I know there's guys out there who have had similar stories or just somebody mm-hmm. they – you're you're just a great resource and you're a great individual and you're super um, approachable in just so many different avenues. Um, Tim still hasn't blinked. 
Well, it's just because I'm trying to be romantic, so <laughs> stop saying that to everybody who can't watch my beautiful eyes. So thank you. Yeah. Um, if, is if, there a way that if you want people to reach out to you, or even if you want investors, like if you guys would like to invest into Latour de Fort um, and what Vinny's doing, um, I just want to say thank you so much, Vinny, because you are you are a Purple Heart recipient. Um, you were kind of coy about that. You didn't really bring that up too much, but I, I um, want to tell you, I yeah, want to tell happened. everybody who's listening that <laughs> he is a Purple Heart recipient. Yeah. And um, when I talk so, about the... which is an amazing award. For us, it's for us in the military organization. It is one of the the highest medals that we can receive. Is to say, hey, we did this for our country, and, and technically, I mean, we took one for the team. And uh, Vinny, you you done that, so I appreciate that. Thanks. And, um, so, if anybody out there, if you guys are interested in supporting uh, the the vet organizations that we have going on, and what Vinny is actually doing here in our community, and you're actually looking to eventually broaden that out to other communities as well. Um, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, what's uh, a good contact for them to reach out to you about? Oh gosh, uh, info at latourdefort.com is a good email. Actually, it's a bad email. I don't answer that one a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> They can uh, message us through uh, our Facebook or Instagram. I uh, I don't know who's going to respond to this. I mean, I don't, I just I'm not going to give out my personal email because I don't know what what the response rate would be. But if it's fine, if it, you don't have to. Yeah, if anyone were interested in uh, being associated with the tour, um, feel free to reach out to our Facebook or Instagram pages. Check us out. Make sure you like our page. Uh, and sign up to ride with us on August 24th with the Roots Tour. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, sounds good. Thank this you great. for being Dude. on. Like Tim um, said. Happy Independence Day. If we, Yeah, happy Independence Day. Thanks, everybody. Yeah. Um, if Next time, we'd love to have you on again if you're interested because um, I, I want the public to get to hear kind of your story about how you transitioned into sure. the Tour de Four and yeah. kind of how you created that um, just as a passion of yours. Because you you don't do that technically for a living, but it is something that you that is building and has been a passion of yours either way. Yeah, and uh, it's like a it's a side hustle for for our listeners and for people who actually do listen. That's that that is you are the epitome example of somebody who's chasing after something that makes them come alive. And so yeah, I just I think that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks so much for listening, guys. This has been another episode of the Live Dapper Podcast. Um, as always, like our pages, follow us. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. Uh, cheers. Happy Independence Day. Cheers. Happy cheers. Independence Day. See you guys later.